always good to be at uh, Cornerstone. And uh, I don't remember the last time I came for a Christmas sermon. Um, and uh, always very excited to be here and to, to see old friends and to minister the Word of God. I always like to intro uh, introduce the message with uh, things that have happened over uh, the past few months since I've been here. <clears throat> I'm sporting some more jewelry. <laughs> I got a new a wedding ring. I get a new wedding ring every so often. Uh, it's not the original one. I've had a few ones. I got this. I spoke at a conference in Hawaii in uh, October, end of October, and there's a flea market at the Ohio University. Uh, I don't know if people oh, going to Honolulu know where that place is, okay? Get all your, uh, get, get, get your chocolate-covered nuts there, okay? Uh, uh, but I get this. Look, okay, price is no object. Six dollars, okay? Uh, <laughs> next time you go there, mention my name. 10% extra discount for you, okay? Uh, so uh, I don't know if it's, it's real, you know. Uh, next time I'll speak, there's a new one, because this one broke, but it's uh, for six dollars, you can't beat it, okay? That's a, story, that's a funny story about my, uh, about, uh, my wife and, and my family. This Christmas is uh, special for us because um, you know, when we were raising our children when we were young, Christmas was always special because our, our family lived away, and so we had the family as uh, the center of our Christmas celebration, my daughters. And when they went to college and they got married and they moved away, Christmas got a little lonely for us. Okay, I just want to tell you, got a little lonely because you don't want to see two like old aging people, you know, celebrating Christmas, you know. Uh, just, not, just not right, you know. And so this Christmas, it's special because my daughter who lives in LA, who switches time off, uh, time with us and time away from us with her in-laws is celebrating Christmas with us this year and driving up, okay? And we have four, four grandchildren. They're gonna be staying over. They're gonna be running around and we want them to run around, okay? But the pressure is we don't, we, you know, we haven't really decorated our home for Christmas in years which meant 48 hours ago, we had to go to Target. <laughs> we thank God for Target. We give praise to Target, okay? Especially if you have the thing called Cartwheel and they were having 30% off their Christmas trees. And they're not regular Christmas trees. The lights and the bulbs are included. <laughs> Miracles do happen. And so we loaded up the basket, we bought the lights, we bought the tree, and we're going to have a wonderful time. But you know, I got to tell you, with all the excitement and joy about, about Christmas that was going on, I got to tell you, this season has, is, is, is never really a good time for me. You said, what's going on, you know? It's because after living in this body for 60 years, I've come to realize that I have another quirkiness and it is what they call SAD, Seasonal Affective Disorder, which means when the days get shorter in terms of light, you get more sad. And there's a lot of people, okay? I'm thinking about 10, 15, 20% of you saying, well, I'm a little more crankier, you know? And uh, because it's, you need more sunlight, you know, you need sunlight. And so it kind of clouds, it's just hard to get going. It's always like, it's just not, not feeling right, you know? 
And then there's the things in the world that just seemingly compound it. I feel the world is very tense recently. I just have to tell you, I have election fatigue. I don't want to, you know, it's just like, it's too much, too much, you know. Not only that, but uh, I spend a lot of time uh, keeping up with what's happening in the Middle East. And I got to tell you, the things that are happening in Syria, in Mosul, in Aleppo, breaking my heart because of the innocent uh, civilians and children who are dying in a mosul. It's like, it's, it's, it's crazy. He's like, and you can't do anything because they're like bombing, bombing the whole place, you know, and there's, oh, it's terrible. And then Thursday, uh, Friday night, there was this great fire in Oakland. They're estimating it will be the largest fatality in Oakland history in terms of a fire. That uh, it could be upwards of 40 plus people perished and they can't even get to the bulk of the bodies because the whole thing was a, a fire trap and it, the whole thing caved in and they have to bring excavation gear because one floor collapsed upon the other. And so they were, you know, it's, 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 you know, it's very sad to understand that people are grieving and they don't even know where, 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 where they are. And then, of course, there's the quirkiness about me. It's all about myself, you know, it's all about my life, you know. <laughs> I have a backache, okay? Like, I've had a backache for three years. I mean, not three years, three days. Okay, three years is bad. Okay. Okay. okay, I embellish, but I don't embellish that much, okay? Three days. And so when, when Pastor Terry said, uh, let's welcome Pastor Jeff up, you know, that's the moment of, of ache, you know? So I, I suck it up, I bite the bullet, and instead of t taking one minute to get up, I just snap the back. Because I want the pain to shoot right down, but it lasts for half a second and it's gone, and I could I could walk. Then I'll sit down and I'll, oh man, it's the same thing. And it's bad. I don't know if you've ever had a bad back, chronic. You know, it's not it's not fun. You know, can't can't really move around. You know, a little gingerly. Things like you know tying your shoes is really difficult. That's why I'm wearing slip-ons today. You know, uh, you know you know part slipper, part uh, dress shoe. You know, uh, we thank God also for Skechers for what they can bring to uh, benefit mankind and to bring world peace upon this world, okay? It's a little conflicted this Christmas season for me. And I think it's always been that way because of the SAD, seasonal affective disorder, that comes upon me when we don't have as much sunlight. But you know what? I don't think I'm the only one. The Christmas season is good if you are younger or you have children or if you're a child. It's a lot of joy. But I gotta tell you, as a, if you're an empty nester or you're alone, it's a very, very, uh, it, it's not as joyful. I just wanna tell you that. And not only that, but the troubles that can uh, befall you and the burdens of this world. If you have a burden and pray for this nation and this, this world and this city, it's very, very burdensome. The things that happen in your life. But I want to tell you that this theme that we're going to talk about this morning, which is the theme of the Jesus who we worship, is a theme that is so powerful and gripping that it, when you understand what is being taught, it can draw you up and change your spirit. Because oftentimes we think of worship as a sort of event-driven activity. 
It is the circumstances, what surrounds us. But when you understand biblical worship or worship that Jesus wants, it is not event-driven worship, but is rather a realization from within of what you have come to know Jesus to be. Now, in that, we have three passages. And I always say, I'm going to, you know, I always like us half-hour messages here. So I, says, oh, I, I like to, to live on the dangerous end, you know. So I like a lot of passages. So it just puts a lot of pressure on me to get it through. But what I did was I decided to use this topic of worship and trace it through the Gospel of Matthew. Now, Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. And believe it or not, the theme of worship is one of the major themes that unites the whole book. There's one in chapter 2, one in chapter 14, and the whole thing only has 28 chapters. It's the last chapter. So it's the beginning, middle, and the end. It's incredible. I'm going to read quickly because you have to get a sort of a, an understanding of, of where these situations of worship are, are occurring. Matthew 2, and I'm going to read verse uh, one and two. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. 14, Matthew 14. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus is walking on water, you know, at this time. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind stopped, and those who were in the boat, and there's that word again, worshipped him, saying, you are certainly God's son. Now, the final episode of worship that unites and puts together this major theme in the Gospel of Matthew is in the last chapter, and it's after the crucifixion and the resurrection of the Christ. And it reads like this. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Now, we need to understand what this worship is and what's the rationale for the worship. And I have the first slide that's going to be showed over my head. Jesus is worshipped for who he is throughout his life. Very important to understand. It's in chapter 2, chapter 14, chapter 28. It's not Jesus, you know, if Jesus gets worshipped somewhere at the end, you know. No, at the beginning, at his birth, he is worthy of worship. At the end, he's worthy of worship. It's not Jesus becomes God to be worshipped. He was always born son of God to be worshipped. It is in his nature. A few years ago, I was uh, uh, at, a, at, a, at, a, at a service in the, the peninsula. And they had gathered people of different faiths to express how, uh, how they think of Jesus. And it was really interesting. It was a very respectful type of thing. And so there's a, there was like six of them. I'm just going to sh uh, share like two or th 
three of them, okay? They had an atheist, okay? There's a bunch of, you know, there's a wish for something, they worship service. And he said, you know, we don't believe that Jesus is the son of God, but we believe he was a very good man who taught very good moral principles. He's a good guy and he had great teaching. He was very, very respectful, okay? Very respectful. Then they had uh, uh, someone who was a representative of the Muslim community, okay? And they had a, a, a woman. And she said, you know, we view Jesus as a prophet because in the Quran, Muhammad recognizes Jesus as a prophet of God in a series of people who are gifted by God to lead his people at a certain time in life. Now, if the atheist thought he's a good guy, the Muslim is, is one up. He's a good guy, plus he's very gifted and he's speaking the word of God, okay? Then they had uh, a Hindu. And I gotta tell you, it, it takes a little more time to explain uh, the concept, because even when I heard it, I'd never understood this. I never, the first time I heard it. The person said, we hold Jesus to be an avatar. And I said, avatar? I'm thinking of the movie. <laughs> Tall, blue people, good with the arrow, you know? Uh, you know, you don't want to mess around with these things, you know? Uh, Avatar, you know? And I'm, and I'm thinking of, like, the internet. I'm thinking of the character that you choose to represent you as you are in dialogue with other friends. And you could choose, you could be a turtle. You be a dinosaur, glass of wine, it's your avatar. It's not you. But when they see it, they know it represents you. Oh, there's the turtle again. It's Jeff. It's the dinosaur. It's Jeff. Okay? Maybe sometimes I'm a kitten, you know? It's not me, but it represents me. And that's a basically a Hindu understanding of, 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 of what an avatar is. That, it is a, that Jesus was a representation of God. Not the person of God, but a representation of God. That God, and they're polytheistic. He sends representations to different religions, and they see him the way your religion defines you. It's basically good moral teaching. Now, what's interesting, they're all very, very respectful of Jesus in this. Good guy with the Hindu as a reflection of Jesus as an avatar. Good moral teaching. I thank God that they're respectful of Jesus. But the concept of Jesus is far greater than he's a good guy and he's a good teacher. For in scripture, the concept of Jesus is that he is one to be worshipped. And when you bring up the concept of worship, you need to understand it's more higher than I respect you. It's higher than I honor you. It's higher than, wow, there's some holy aura around you, so I venerate you. You're talking about worship, which is on the highest rung, to realize that there in front of you is God and the supreme being and the creator of this universe before you. Now, oftentimes, worship in modern-day sense as I mentioned early in the introduction, has taken a, a tone of an event to be involved in. All of worship is sort of 
corporate worship is revolved around a gathering and event. But the type of worship we are talking about in Scripture is not found in corporate events, but in personal realization. For you can have a group of people who attend a corporate event and worship God. In a technical sense, we are worshiping God. But how many of you How many of us are worshiping God in a personal sense, from the heart? It is a very, very different type of worship to which all these three episodes reflect. That something of the gut, that you recognize Jesus to be greater than anyone you have ever seen before. In the knee-jerk respect and reaction you give to such a being. That what unites almost all the episodes of worship in the Bible is a natural tendency to bow down and fall to your knees. Not because God's like saying, you know, kiss my ring, you know, you unworthy fool. Even though it's a $6 ring, still kiss it. (laughs) Tells you how great I am if you kiss a $6 ring. That's me talking. No, it's a knee-jerk reaction, man. Because you've overcome by the greatness of God. And you've come to realize that. And that is what worship is. In a very very plain sort of uh, illustration. And the realization of who Jesus is. It's, 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 It's who he is. He's God. He's more than a good guy. He's more than a good teacher. Do you have such a heart understanding of Christ and a heart worship? There's a second slide that I'm going to show, and it goes like this. Jesus is worshiped by all kinds of people. Now, what's interesting is if you have these three episodes, uh, at, at, at the last two, it's, it's uh, followers of Jesus, Jewish followers of Jesus, and the first one, they, the followers or the people who worship Jesus are what we call magi from the east. Now, why in the world are magi from the east? And, and partly the translators translated magi because we don't really know what they are or who they are. The Greek term is often and most commonly translated in the book of Acts as magicians. And magicians aren't people like in Vegas, you know, David Copperfield or something like that. Magicians are sort of like, ah, oh, man, these, these, are, these are fakes, man, religious fake type people, you know? It doesn't have the entertainment nuance as it has today. So we don't really know because, you know, were they magicians or were they astrologers, you know? Because they say, we see the star from the east. So what are these people, you know? They're like horoscope people, you know? And they're like, they're, they're, they're trying to figure out when Jesus comes. Whatever it is, horoscope's not like a biblical thing, you know? It's sort of like what the uh, people outside of the faith community, when they try to find the will of God, they say, what did the stars say, you know? It's not really quite biblical, and it's not really how you want to find the will of God, but that's the background of these people. And then it says they're from the east. Where are they from the east? You know, are they from China? I don't think they're from China, okay? They're not from Fremont either. (laughs) Though you may think, most of you think east means Fremont. (laughs) Or Nevada or something like that. No, it's probably from the Middle East. Okay. Magicians, astrologers, from a group in an area that 
is not part of the traditional lineage of the people of God. This is a very odd group of people who are the first representatives of the worshipers of Christ. And it underscores that point I just showed. Because they worship Jesus and we worship Jesus because we are, have the liberty and the privilege to worship and to realize who Jesus is regardless of where we came from. No matter what your background, no matter your ethnicity. I'm an ethnic person, man. I love ethnic. You know? I'm an ethnic person, you know. We're all ethnic pers- people, you know. But I look more ethnic, you know. <laughs> That's the thing, I can't, I can't not look this way. The beauty of Christianity is that there should be a unity amongst us that's just transcendent because we are not united by kind or culture. We are united by Christ regardless of where you came from, your culture, your ethnicity, no matter what your religious background is, no matter what kind of skeletons you have in your closet. Because we are all odd. And Christ will accept everyone. Because there is no spiritual pedigree that God is looking for. He does not operate this way. And I give thanks for that. Christ came to the Louis family line. And after thousands of years of Louis, you know, I wonder what, what a thousand years ago, what the Louis looked like, you know? Imagine like it looked like me. I said, whoa, this is kind of creepy, you know? <laughs> In 1960, the first Louis became a believer in Christ. It was my brother and sister, too. We had two of them, the two first believers. That's the weirdest thing. Because we were living in Chinatown, and my, my, my family were ancestor worships, worshipers. We're bringing sacrifices or food to grave sites. Sounds odd. It's not odd to Christ. <laughs> that's, what the, that, that's how it goes, man. The whole aspect of worshiping Christ is that he can, he can accept anyone from any background with any past. It's wonderful. Some of you may be thinking that you are unworthy. No, man. In a sense, we're all unworthy. Join the crowd, man. That's the whole aspect of worship. The third point I want to show up is that Jesus is worshipped for what he did for us. What he did, and really I should change it, what he does for us. I want to focus on the second passage, Matthew 14. It is Peter trying to walk on water, and when the circumstances of the wind and the waves get to him, he flounders and he needs He asked Jesus to save him, and he does. Now, at that time, he worships Jesus, and he declares Jesus to be the Son of God. So the whole question is, theologically, is this when he becomes a Christian? No, he became a Christian when he left his nets, man. Left his nets, followed Jesus, man. 
Now, what in the world's going on here? You know what's going on? It's a very, very common journey that people have. You can understand Jesus intellectually. He's the son of God, resurrected from the day, dead, third day after being in the grave, okay? You can understand things factually about Jesus. He's Jewish. He was born in Bethlehem, okay? He died in Jerusalem, okay? He was around 30 when he died, okay? You know the facts. But what we have here in Peter, in Matthew 14, is the worship of Jesus not based upon facts, but in real-time experience. And the real-time experience of worshiping Jesus, when it finally hits you, whoa, I can't save myself. I need your help. Oh, man, that's, that's, that's a Peter moment, man. That's a Matthew 14 Peter moment. And I believe every believer as we journey always has a time when we, we realize that. When it becomes real in real time in your life. When you press a panic button. And you can always hop, pat, press it, but you got you, you, you to press it. I went to seminary when I was 21. So I've been studying about God and pastoring and teaching for, I'm, I'm going to be 61 in two months. Okay? Um, 40 years. I had my Peter moment in my 50s when I transitioned from pastoring into teaching and the transition was rough and when I was hit with an autoimmune disorder. I could not save myself, both physically and emotionally. And what happened was Jesus was there as my savior throughout my journey, but in real time. It is amazing realization in real time to allow Christ to uplift you in the midst of tension. One of the joys I have coming here is that I've been coming here for years, okay? And um, I get to know some of the, the old timers here uh, and uh, to follow their journey. Over 10, 12 years I think I've been here. So what does it look like? I saw someone this weekend with a new knee. I reacquainted and said hi to someone who came from a broken family. I saw someone's son for the first time, though I've seen pictures of him, whose wife died. I prayed with someone who lost their daughter. These are the tensions of life. And this is worship in real time. And the ability to worship Christ in real time, in the time of tension, and to have Christ sustain you is an amazing experience. To worship Christ because he is God is a wonderful thing, but it's 50%, and it doesn't lead you to where Christ wants you to go. Take that, and to have him now 
Be God in an active sense in your life who delivers you in whatever category of the people that I've mentioned. Because they're real people at Cornerstone. Because Christ is real. And the things we go through are real. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it and say they don't happen. What I want to say is you understand the transcendent Christ and allow him to help you. He will sustain you and uplift you. You need to allow that. Perhaps some of you need this because you're at your Peter moment. But it's more than just the ability to deliver in real time. In this final point of what he did for us, he delivers in eternal time. For in the last passage I have included, they worship Jesus after his crucifixion and the resurrection from the dead. And I don't know if you noticed it, but in verse 9, there's a very, very, uh, a very visual aspect to this episode. They came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Now, this is bizarre, okay? This is bizarre. Take hold of your feet and worship him. You know, I can, ex I can understand the Magi worshiping, bringing gifts, Tupperware, you know, a, a, a Keurig machine. You know, everyone loves coffee these days, you know? And, and you know, you know, that, that, you know, that's what, you, 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 you know, take offering, you know? What kind of worship is this? Clinging onto someone's feet. When was the last time someone clung onto your feet, okay? If someone did that, okay, I'm a New Yorker. Someone did that, I'd say, get away from me, you know? I, I, I don't want this. I don't want, I don't want this. You know, get away. You're a weirdo, you know? Weirdo if we did this to each other. Okay? Don't do it. But when it comes to God, oh, man. You're talking about, it's, talk, it's a different category because you're now holding on to Christ as the resurrected one who transcends this life and into eternity. And it's beyond, oh, here's the gold, here's the money, here's the Tupperware, here's the, the Starbucks gift card. Into I need you. I'm holding on to you with my life. Oh, that is very graphic. Because this comes to full end from birth into death and to eternity. And some of us will have losses that we will never regain. And the worship of Jesus will continue to the end into another age. It is a great joy to be at Cornerstone. I can't believe it. It helps me with my SAD, okay? And probably next time I'll have another ring and it might be, I might spring to $10, you know, go just, just splurge in life, you know, only live once. I just tell you a story, uh, you know, uh, the morning uh, Pastor Terry asked me what my schedule for 2017 is. Because I'm, I'm uh, you know, I come regularly here. And I said, I said, yeah, put me down, put me down. So I'll see you next year. I'm happy to see you because it's a joy. It's a real joy. I can become myself. You know, I'm kind of myself. 
I'm half comedian, half theologian. <laughs> but I tell you, one day I will not be able to do it. But it's okay. Because the worship of Jesus is not an event driven that I attend. I have come to understand it as something of the heart that you have experienced and will draw you into eternity. I ask God to allow some aspect of this message and its application to touch you. Allow me to pray for you, and then we will have the end of this service, the receiving of offering, and a final song. Our Heavenly Father, I pray for my friends at Cornerstone. And wherever we are in this journey, let us begin to understand the depths of worship. For those who are outsiders, <laughs> there are no outsiders. Let us understand that. For those who are experiencing Peter moments and are drowning, to see you in real time so we worship you in a different sense of reality. Those who have suffered loss that can never be regained or to see our lives failing, to cling on to you, to bring us into your presence when this life ends. May you grace us with an ability to incorporate one of these insights into our lives this Christmas season. For I pray this blessing through Jesus Christ our Lord.